youth and adults at 6 o'clock. Bryson is out this morning, but he wanted me to be sure and remind you of um, the fact that the youth will still meet today at 6. And also, on Sunday, June the 13th, we're going to have a softball fellowship fundraiser. If you want to come and play softball, eat hot dogs, hang out at the field, um, 12 and up, sounds like a lot of fun. So the first pitch is at 3.30, on the dot, I'm sure. Um, as Miss Patsy comes in, I want to remind y'all, just because she helps with this, uh, in June, we're beginning back our Tuesday noon lunches. So I'm grateful and excited for that. Uh, a few prayer updates. Curtis Mock is at home, if my understanding is correct. So we are grateful that Curtis is better and at home. Some of you may know that my dad had some heart issues this week. He had a heart attack. Yeah, Wednesday night, early Thursday morning, they put a stint in on uh, Thursday. Did a heart cath and stint, and he's doing well. In fact, he's doing so well, he headed to the beach. (laughs) So, (laughs) two weeks off and uh, a good deal of medication. And so that's going to be a life adjustment for my dad, but we are grateful that he's still here. My grandfather died very suddenly and tragically of of a heart attack when he was in his mid-70s. So our family is very sensitive to to that type of thing. And a lot of you have already gone through something like that, but when it's your dad, it's, you know... Then it, gets, then it gets more real, I guess you could say, as all of you have felt at times. Um, apparently, Sandra Lott is in the hospital in ICU. I don't have any details. Anybody have any details? Do you know what happened? Okay, thank you, Beth. I got a text on that yesterday afternoon. and uh, So let's be praying for Sandra Lott. And then Miss Patsy mentioned Lance Harrison, her son-in-law, apparently is going to have a heart procedure soon as well. So Miss Patsy asked us to pray for Lance Harrison. Okay, any other? Mary. Yeah, Eileen Wonderwood, Wileen Underwood, not Wonderwood. Mercy. Um, That's Scott's mother-in-law. She fell and broke a leg last week, or maybe the week before. So, Wileen Underwood. Thank you, Mary. Other updates or requests? We are taking communion this morning, so uh, I hope you got a cup as you entered. So after the sermon, uh, I will lead us in that. If you were not able to get a, a cup when you came in, you can certainly get up and do that at any time. Next Sunday is graduation recognition. I noticed yesterday a lot of people graduating from high school and college already. So next Sunday morning, we'll recognize our graduates at both services by posting picture and information. Uh, Catherine is leading that, so any, any information that you can give us for your graduate, let us know. Thursday night, we are hosting the Herd High Baccalaureate Arts Service here. 
at 6 o'clock. So uh, it'll be a pretty full house, I'm sure. Any other announcements? Any other word? All right, let's stand for worship and prayer. James, will you pray for us before we sing, please? Thank you. morning. We're going to begin worshiping this morning singing in Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, burn through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Every sin on him was laid, here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of commands my destiny. 
truly turn our eyes upon you, God, and to focus on you and on um, just your Son and the Holy Spirit, God. Lord, may we be reminded this morning of the great price that was paid at Calvary, God, and what that means for us um, every day that we live, God, every minute, Lord, what we should do in light of the crucifixion, God. Lord, um, I just thank you that the Spirit resides within us, God, and I thank you that you um, are always there for us to turn our eyes upon, God. So, Lord, this morning, will you just point us um, to your way, God? Lord, just um, thank you for your mercy and grace. And just renew us this morning to go out and share um, just the great news of the gospel this week, God. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Good morning. Again, Luke chapter 7 is our passage for the day. Um, hey, one thing I forgot, VBS one day this year, June 26th, Erica has placed the um, VBS sign-up forms, the volunteer forms, not to be in it, but to volunteer to help. We will certainly need helpers for that day. We still don't know exactly the hours, but if you're willing to help with VBS on June 26th, Saturday, um, please let us know, and you can let us know by, by signing up. All right, Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 23. What do we do when our faith grows weak? What do we do? Um, this is an amazing passage, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament dealing with discouragement and disappointment and disillusionment. It's about John the Baptist, of all people. Did you know that John the Baptist was put in prison? 
And while he was in prison, we don't know, some of the commentators that I read said six months. Some commentators said as much as 12 to 18 months. He's been in prison. Uh, he was put there for righteous reasons. If you remember, he spoke out against Herod, Antipas, and the fact that Herod had basically stolen his brother's wife. And when John the Baptist spoke out against that, he put John the Baptist in prison. Well, during the imprisonment, after this particular scene, uh, Herodias's daughter is dancing at a party and Herod is so impressed that he says, whatever you ask for, I'll give you. And they wanted, through her mother, John the Baptist's head on a plate. Uh, so a very tragic and graphic scene in that particular uh, point in New Testament history. But we catch John the Baptist in a moment of discouragement and, and uh, disillusionment about who Jesus is. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 7. Uh, I want to find it here myself so, so that I may read it. <laughs> so let me look down at my Bible. Um, hey, where have we been the last couple of weeks? A centurion exercised great faith and Jesus healed this centurion servant. Then last week we saw Jesus go even beyond that with the miraculous and he raised from the dead the, the widow's son at Nain. So two back-to-back -back miracles. So just have that in your mind as we approach Luke 7, 18. So, Luke 7, 18. The disciples of John reported to him about all these things. So they go to John. They say, John, Jesus is working miracles. He's a miracle worker. And he's working in these individual lives. So John summoned two of his disciples and he sent them to the Lord. Saying, are you the expected one? Or do we look for someone else? Man, that's an amazing question from John the Baptist, isn't it? Are you the one? <laughs> or... or do I look for someone else? So when the men had come to him, that is Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? There it is again, the question. At that very time, notice, immediately Jesus cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many who were blind. And then he answered and he said to them. So to me his answer had two forms. Before he says anything he performs more miracles. He does more actions. Sometimes people answer you not with words but with what? With actions. Well then he spoke the words. Look at verse 22. He answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and what you've heard. And this to me is an amazing response. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor 
have the gospel preached to them. And blessed, blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. Father, thank you for your word, how it encourages us in our times of disappointment and, and, and possibly confusion regarding life and faith and Christ and your word. May we, like John the Baptist, uh, turn to you. And we know if we do that, you will encourage us with your words, with your actions, and with your promises. So, Father, I don't know where all of us are as individuals today, but I know that all of us, because we live real lives in a real world that's fallen and broken, that hey, there, there are times this week when we may need encouraging and lifting up of our faith. There may be times ahead where we need encouragement and strengthening of our faith. And I pray today through this text you'll give us tools to use later on to not only be encouraged ourselves, but to be an encouragement to other people. Thank you for John the Baptist and what you show us through his life and even in his difficulty in prison. To understand this, we need your spirit. To apply this, we need your, your help, your spirit. Thank you, Father, for what you give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John the Baptist, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, this seems to be almost unbelievable because John the Baptist, very early on in his ministry, was so bold and so clear about who Christ was. So let's just think back about where John the Baptist was. He was the bold forerunner, the greatest and latest of the prophets. He said things like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And not only did he say it once, he said it often and he said it boldly. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. He clearly seems to have understood who Jesus was and what Jesus was about. He baptized Jesus. He saw the Spirit descend upon Jesus in the form of a dove. He said things about John the Baptist. He pointed to, to Christ and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said some things about John the Baptist that are inspiring to us. Excuse me, about Jesus that are inspiring to us. He said things like, He must increase. What? And I must decrease. So John the Baptist seems at this point early in his ministry to have everything right. He preached judgment. He preached the coming of the kingdom. He said Jesus is bringing fire and he has the winnowing fork in his hand and he is changing things. But now what has happened? Well, you know what's happened because you've been there. He's in prison. Things haven't worked out so well for him. And after months in prison, the walls are closing in. Right? He's starting to get cabin fever to the nth degree. And he hears all these reports about what Jesus is doing. And John the Baptist is not understanding why Jesus is doing what he's doing. He hears about all these miracles done to individual people. 
But John the Baptist is disappointed that Jesus isn't doing more. And what we think that he's doing here is he's limiting himself in his understanding of the Messiah's role. That's very important. John's stuck in prison under Herod, and Jesus is walking around Galilee doing miracles. Jesus, what are you doing? I preached fire. I preached overthrow. I preached, and he thought that Jesus was going to come in as a political Messiah and overthrow the Romans and fix everything right now. Jesus, you're in Galilee. Why aren't you in Jerusalem fixing all this mess? And sometimes we think the same thing, don't we? Here the church is working in individual lives with individual salvation. But we've got all these national problems and all these world problems. God, where are you? Why aren't you fixing the systems that are broken? We're stuck in this prison called the body, right? And all the difficulties that that entails. And then we get in our circumstances and we get, hey, we get stuck in the moment that we are in. And let's be honest and real with ourselves. We, like John the Baptist, start to say about Jesus, is he the one? Or do we look for somebody else? Boy, and we know the rest of the New Testament declares boldly, if it's not Jesus, it's nobody. (laughs) Because there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. So let's look at what John the Baptist does and what unfolds, and let's, let's learn to respond the way he responds. So Ligon Duncan said this. This is crucial. Listen to this. John the Baptist is rattled. He's frustrated, he's disappointed, he's discouraged. He probably has plums disease, poor, poor little old me, you know. I know we can't imagine that about John the Baptist, but, you know, reading between the lines, he may be there. But Lincoln Duncan said this, How we respond to disappointments, how we respond to disappointments may be the most important thing we do in life. Think about that. How you respond to disappointments might be the most important thing that you do in life. If we study our disappointments, we will discover what we love and what we believe. I think that is a very profound statement when I apply it to myself and when I think about what we go through as individuals in our fallen, broken world. Hey, One of our truths is life is unfair, people will disappoint you, death is inevitable, and the future is unpredictable, right? Those are things that we say often just to remind ourselves of our condition. Well, preacher, what do we do? The first thing you do is you turn to Christ with your doubts and your questions. Turn to Christ. John the Baptist can't go to Jesus, but he does the next best thing. He sends some of his disciples to Jesus. And he engages Jesus. And he asks Jesus the questions. Now, if you read the Psalms, God gives us permission to go to him with all of our hard questions. 
our disappointments, our frustrations, our doubts, our fears. God the Father basically says, come to me and let's talk about these things. Let's reason about these things. But if you're like me, you got your eyes on the prison walls. You're studying only your circumstances. You may talk about it with other people, but we fail to fully turn away from self and circumstances to engage with Christ. To engage with Christ. Now, oftentimes in life, we ask about people, are you the one that's coming or not? I recently had some heating and air issues at my house. And when heat and air issues come up, you got issues. Well, y'all know how hard it is to get somebody to come and work on stuff at your house. And you, you know, they say we're coming, and then you sit there, and a couple of days. Now, I'm just not, this is not my particular scenario this week, but I, I thought it was going to be. Are you the one that's coming or not? <laughs> you know, you ever felt that way? Well, what are you going to do? You're going to sit there at the kitchen table and thumb, you know, twiddle your thumbs? Are you and your wife just going to talk about whether or not he's going to come? No, somebody's got to make the call. Somebody's got to send the text. And I literally sent a text. Have you, you know, are, don't forget about us at 305 Stewart Street. We're burning up upstairs, all right? Are you coming or not? That insp- it was much nicer than that, the way I sent it. But what did I do that was right? I went to that individual, right, and gave him an opportunity to explain himself. Oftentimes, we talk to everybody but the one that we really need to talk to. That's unhealthy. It's unhealthy horizontally, but it's really unhealthy vertically because we talk a lot about God and we talk a lot about Christ, but do we ever really go to him? Man, John the Baptist knew. Jesus knew whether or not he was the expected one. And so John just pours out his heart and he asks that question. Man, if I were a preacher or a prophet, it would almost be embarrassing to ask that question. But that's okay with God. Man, ask him. And you know what you get in the asking? You get a person. You get the one person you need. You get relationship. You get conversation. And God has given us a lot of different ways to go to Christ. You go to Christ through prayer. You go to Christ through the church and worshiping with the church. You go to Christ by talking to other Christians because we are the body of Christ. You go to Christ in His Word. You can also go to Christ by looking for His work in His hand in circumstances. John the Baptist's doubts centered on the character, identity, and work of Jesus. And if we dig deep enough, our doubts also end up right there. Jesus, who are you really? So if you've ever had those doubts and questions, you know what? You're in good company. You're a human being. And you're striving to walk not by sight, but by faith. So, turn away from yourself, which is so natural to do, and away from your circumstances. And as we just sang, turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
and look full in his wonderful face. And then through the process, the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Peter took his eyes off Jesus and began to what? And began to sink. And we would say about John the Baptist, bless his heart. (laughs) He's in prison. And he was so bold and so strong. And, and now his circumstances, they've, they've, he's just stuck. He's stuck in his moment. Turn to Christ. As I said, this engages the person that you need. You may be in difficulty, and you will be in difficulty and disappointment. But help, hey, help is only a prayer away. All right, let's look at the next thing. Turn is the first one. The second word is think. Think about God's word and its implications. Think about God's word and its implications. So John the Baptist, you know, hadn't got the message yet, but 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 Jesus answers first, as I said, with immediate actions. But then the words that he puts together here are truly remarkable. Because Jesus strings together some very specific Old Testament texts that are found in Isaiah mainly and other prophets of the Old Testament that connect the dots clearly that Jesus is the arrival of God through the Messiah doing kingdom work that goes beyond our particular situation. So let's think through the answer here, which is, listen, here's my point. The answer Jesus gives is straight word of God. So when you have doubts and when you have disillusionment and when you're discouraged, go to the word and think about it. Meditate on it. Think through it. Ask yourself what it means. The blind receive their sight. What a miracle. Jesus giving new eyes to people. As you grow old, you begin to you know, strain a little bit with those fallen eyes, don't you? And squint. And, oh, I can't find my glasses. What did I do with my glasses? Why? Because you're fallen. We're under a curse. Our bodies are breaking down. But Jesus opened the eyes of the blind. The lame. He made them walk. We've already looked at some of these miracles in Luke, haven't we? But this was specific prophetic words saying that when God's kingdom shows up and God begins to reverse the curse and God begins to crush the head of the the serpent, the promise back in Genesis 3.15, here's how you'll know it. He's going to open the eyes of the blind and people whose legs are broken and fallen and paralyzed he's gonna he's gonna make the lame walk John the Baptist not only that but lepers the outcasts the untouchables the unclean those that nobody wants to deal with Jesus is gonna touch them and heal them just like Elisha did in the Old Testament with Naaman the prophet and dipping in the river Jordan seven times You're going to know that he is making all things new by the signs of the ministry of the Messiah. 
the deaf hear. <laughs> fallen bodies, fallen eyes, fallen legs, fallen ears. Jesus is going to open up all of that and reverse the curse. Not only that, the dead will be raised. Who has power over death? Only God. Who can speak and make the widow's son at name rise from the dead? Only God. So all these miracles are lining up to show John the Baptist that Jesus is not a magician. He's not a miracle worker that's here just to impress people like the circus has come to town. He's not here just to do wonders and works. He is here for a greater role, John the Baptist. Yeah, he's going about Galilee and he's helping all these individual people. But if you'll think about what it means that he's doing, you'll understand that he's throwing over something far bigger than the Romans. He's dealing with something far greater than your particular prison under that tyrant Herod. Oh, he's far bigger. This is the kingdom of God coming to rule and reign through the person of Christ. And then he tops it off by saying the poor have the gospel preached to them. The poor. Jesus, why aren't you in Jerusalem? Why aren't you taking over? Why aren't you showing all these people your power and glory now? Because there's something greater that first must take place, and that is the good news of the gospel. Christ will die. Well, first he will suffer his own injustice and persecution. In, in fact, Christ will become, through his life and on the cross, cross blind and lame and leprous, and that he will be outcast. Uh, he's going to be in darkness as he bears our wrath on the cross. He's going to die. He is going to be counted poor. Not only is God working these miracles, connect the dots, John the Baptist, but Jesus, through the gospel, is going to enter into this in a, in a way that's beyond our understanding. And he's going to lift us who are blind and lame and leprous and deaf and dead. The good news is that he's going to give us new life. And later on, new bodies and a new kingdom and a new heaven and a new earth. So all I'm doing here is I'm thinking through the implications of all that Jesus is doing and saying. And when you and I are discouraged, we go to Jesus and we go to his word and we start thinking about what it means. If you're like me, you go through the motions a lot in life and you're not really thinking about what things mean. You're just reacting. You're just responding, you know, like Pavlov's dog. You just press the button and Neil, Neil does something, you know. I make my coffee every morning. I go to bed every night. And we can get in routines without ever really thinking about what life means and what the Word means and how it interprets for us who God is, who, who we are, what, where life is going. How, so this gives us the perspective we need. When we go to the Word of God, it gives us the perspective we need to be able to begin to interpret how our lives and our circumstances fit into the bigger picture. Does that make sense? So when you begin to doubt, when you begin to become disillusioned, first you need to turn to Christ, and then you need to 
what? Listen to his word. And think about it. Think about what it says about God, you, life, and circumstances. Hey, we know then that he is working all things together for good, right? Then the last thing is we need to trust God's promises concerning our future glory. This last statement Jesus makes is very interesting. Look at verse 23. It is a beatitude. And we've already talked about some of the beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. This is a blessing that's kind of like a warning. Jesus said, all of you will be blessed as long as you don't stumble over me. As long as you're not scandalized. That's the literal word there, if you're not scandalized over me, you'll be blessed. Let's think about this for a minute. Blessed are those who don't stumble over Jesus. And we would say, ain't that the truth? Because if you don't stumble over Christ, that means you have faith in Christ. You believe in Christ. You have a relationship with Christ. And that makes all the difference regarding our future destiny. Because God has made many promises to those who trust in Jesus and aren't scandalized by Him. And so John the Baptist was on the borderline of being troubled and scandalized by who Jesus was. So John the Baptist was blessed because just as John the Baptist started to stumble over Jesus, just like he did with Peter, Christ reached into that prison and he pulled him up. He kept him from falling. How do we know that? Because later on, Jesus, and next week we'll look at this, he says some wonderful things about John the Baptist. That implied to me that John the Baptist got through his crisis of faith. He got through his crisis of faith. He was blessed. He didn't stumble over Jesus. But there were people who were listening who did stumble over Jesus. They were scandalized by Jesus. And the reason they were scandalized by him is that they couldn't accept the whole picture of the Messiah. And that's kind of where John the Baptist was. He preached the political Jesus the, the, the judging Jesus, the fiery Jesus, but he had forgotten the whole story about Jesus. What had he forgotten? The sufferings, the death, the grief, the sorrow, the cross. You know where people really stumble over Jesus? The cross. It's a scandal. John the Baptist couldn't see yet what the prophets had already told them, that the Messiah would suffer and die. Yes, he will come in glory and power, and yes, there will be the kingdom of God ruling and reigning for all of eternity. But John the Baptist, we're not there yet. First, there's the cross. Now, the Romans were scandalized by the cross because one who died on the cross to the Romans, point blank, he was a loser. Because the Romans were all about strength and power not, and glory, not weakness and loss and suffering. So they put people on crosses because they wanted to, to declare about those people that they're absolute losers. So the Romans were scandalized by a Savior who would die on a cross. They stumbled over Jesus. They weren't blessed. 
with the promises of glory, real glory. Jews were also scandalized and they stumbled over the cross too. Do you remember why? Because someone to the Jewish people who died on a cross was, was cursed. They were under a curse by God. And they could not imagine a Messiah, the expected one, is going to die on a cross. That's a scandal. It was repugnant. See, Jesus was giving us in the gospel the whole picture. The whole picture. The cross and the crown. He was both the lion and the lamb, right? So you can't take one aspect of Jesus and neglect the other. you got to take the whole picture of Christ. you got to take both the suffering expected one. And if you take and embrace the suffering expected one, ah, then you get the glorious expected one. You get the crowned expected one. You get the king of glory. And John the Baptist is stuck in that moment because he was thinking only of the glory and the power and not the suffering and the circumstances of the cross and the betrayal and the injustice. So see what John the Baptist did? He locked in on his preconceived picture of what Jesus should be. But I think through what Christ told him, Jesus kept him from ultimately stumbling. And he'll keep us from stumbling too. Because Jesus never stumbled. When it came to accepting the cross, out of faithfulness and obedience to the Father, he never stumbled. He went all the way for you and me through Gethsemane, through the darkness and the blindness and the lameness and the leprosy and the curse. He bore it all for us. He went through the wrath and through the darkness so that we could get the glory and the power and the promises on the other side. So just in preaching through this, it's an encouragement to me. And John the Baptist's circumstances didn't change. In fact, if you look at it on the human side of things, they got worse, didn't they? But before he died, I really believe that Christ gave him what he needed to give him the faith that he needed to get through Herod's prison and Herod's pride that led to his beheading. So I thank God for his faithfulness. And I thank him that he shows us, just like here, we're about to take communion. He says, remember what I've done. If he has not withheld his son from us, how shall he not also freely give us all things? Remember what I'm doing. I'm working all things together for good. Remember what I will do. One day we will all eat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Past, present, and future. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Nothing can separate me and you and the love that I have. You will be more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Ah, now I'm getting out of my moment and I'm getting the bigger picture. And this week for us, that kind of helped me a little bit. Was God showing me the bigger picture? I mean, I've been to Tanner Hospital in many different ways and in many different roles. But when you go up there to visit your dad, that's a new level for me. 
I can't think of a time when I'd ever visited my father as his son and his pastor in the hospital. Now, I've been to Tanner many times. I was born at Tanner. In fact, I met a nurse one time that was a member at Bethesda Baptist Church. She, she said one time, I was there when you were born. She says, I saw you before you did. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty cool. And, of course, I went to Tanner in 1989. I was at Tanner, and literally on my deathbed, my appendix ruptured. I had appendicitis, and I was there for a month. And Dr. Jimmy Pope pretty much had to kill me in order to save me. I felt like he was killing me. But when I see him now, I'm thankful that he saved me. And I had a nurse during 89, during that time, named Brenda. And she worked with Johnny Clanton. Johnny Clanton has retired, but Johnny knows Miss Brenda more than, more than I do. But man, that whole month, Brenda was right there by my side. She encouraged me daily. She was such a blessing. And what was amazing to me is she could remember my name, even years later when I would see her. Of course, then going to Tanner as a pastor, all the time to visit people through the years, and then... There was a time I went to Tanner to visit my grandmother, and she, was, she had died before I got there. And that was, that was unique. That was interesting. That was a grief process. So I get a call early Thursday morning, and, and Mom says, when you put Bennett out of the truck, call me. I'm like, oh, no. What is this? She says, very important. She didn't want Bennett to hear it. And I said, oh, Jake had spent the night with her, my 16-year-old. The first thing that came to my mind is Jake's had a wreck. <laughs> you know, it wasn't that. So she says, I need you to go by Tanner to see Pops. He's in the hospital. I was like, what happened? So I'm not going to retell the story, but I told you earlier what had happened. So I go up there, and I go into his room, and we talk, and laugh and joke and he's tired and I pray with him and I, I leave there and they're going to do a they're going to do a cath and we don't know really what's going to happen you know as far as the circumstances from that point on at that point I didn't know so I go downstairs and I'm leaving the hospital and I'm going through the surgical waiting area it's not very crowded now because they're limiting you know visitors so forth and I hear somebody calling me Neil Neil I was like, well, you know, what is this? <laughs> is this something of biblical proportions? <laughs> and then I turn and I look to my right, and there's Brenda, the nurse that I had in 89. And I'm like, Brenda, is that you? She says, yeah. I says, what are you doing here? She says, well, I'm here with my husband. And he's having hip surgery. I was like, are you still a nurse? She said, yeah, I'm still a nurse. I said, you haven't retired yet? You know, It's 30-something years ago that she was you know, my nurse. She said, no. Nah. She said, I'm here with my husband. And I walked away. I'm not going to cry at 11. I'm going to cry on y'all. <laughs> Got to get it out, you know. And I said, you know what? I said, uh, just me and God. That lady was such a blessing. When I thought I was going to die, 
And there you put her right here on this particular morning. Not as a nurse, but as a wife. And I was there not as a pastor, but as a son. And our roles and our circumstances in life are constantly changing, aren't they? I mean, you've got the small things that are changing constantly about you, but then you've got the sudden changes that change everything for the rest of your life. And I said to myself, I don't know how this thing's going to end up. But one thing I do know is that, God, you're constant. You're faithful. You're there with all of us through it all. And I tried to think about what did it mean that she was there at that moment. What did that mean? My takeaway was, wow, what an encouraging God we have. Because some of you have had circumstances that didn't end well here. Kind of like John the Baptist. But boy, when you step back and look at the bigger picture of who Jesus is, and what he's done, and what he's going to do, our faith increases, our, our, our strength increases, our, our knowledge and awareness of him increases. That's, that's what I took away from that particular moment. So when your faith grows weak, turn to Christ. When your faith grows weak, think about his word. And when your faith grows weak, <laughs> hey... Trust his promises. He is really working all this together for good. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. You encourage us in ways that we do not deserve. And so when life brings new challenges and new surprises of all different kinds, and our faith is like that ship that's just being battered. It's just being battered. There is an anchor that holds within the veil during the storm. And that, that's you and your character and your person. John was troubled about who you were. And honestly, all my trouble, if I look deep enough, has been over that same issue. And I pray, God, that just as you encouraged John the Baptist and you didn't let him fall, when we begin to stumble, you reach down and you lift us up. Thank you for being that kind of father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to take communion before we sing. Uh, so I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians 11. I'll tell you what, Kyle, since you're up here, why don't you pray for us and I'll move down and lead us in partaking the Lord's Supper.
All right. Well, by now we're becoming kind of used to this as a form of taking, but uh, there will come a day when we will be able to partake the way we used to. Thank the Lord. So if you peel off that top layer, and let's all hold together the wafer that symbolizes his body and the bread that he served on that particular night. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Paul says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they did take. Amen. Thanks be to God for the body of Christ broken for us. All right. If you'll take off the next top layer for the cup. I'll give you just a second. I know it's a bit of a challenge. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And they did drink. And Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's stand. And sing together our hymn of invitation. If you have a decision to bring before us, a prayer need that you would like to share with me or pray about at this altar, um, this opportunity is for you to respond and share with us what God is doing in your life. Let's sing about the grace of Christ.
Anywhere before we close, don't forget Sunday school at ten fifteen. Uh, all several different classes have opened back up, so if you have any questions, let me know. Um, Catherine, how'd your track team do yesterday? They brought home nine medals. Nine medals. Catherine took the high school, m- high school track team. Yeah, so that could be why her voice is a little strange. No, I don't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> we were too far away to scream. Amen. Thank you, Catherine. We're going to end with singing Family of God this morning. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join us with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Y'all have a great week.